This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Buffalo's got a spirit talking proud, talking proud. Listen up and hear it talking proud, talking proud. Look the life and share with nice people who care. It's time to tell them all we're up and standing tall. All right, what's going on, everyone? How you doing? Episode 227, Talking Buffalo Podcast. Thank you, everyone out there, as always, for continuing to listen, download. Sport to show really means a lot to me. Gonna have some Buffalo Bills talk today, and it's not something I've been doing recently, to be honest with you. Frankly, not really an accident either. Generally speaking, I'm not a big fan of talking about the team much during the offseason, especially after the draft, where there's literally nothing going on other than a quarterback throwing a bunch of wide receivers in shorts, but that's because this isn't really just a Bills podcast. This is a podcast about a lot of Buffalo stuff, as opposed to people who do Bills content year-round. But anyway, it's been long enough, and um, I've been missing Buffalo Bills talk a little bit, so getting to be that time of year, and uh, to help me out today, navigate some Bills content on the podcast, I'm joined by Steve Mathis. Steve is part of Buffalo Fanatics, which has really made a nice name for itself on social media and YouTube. We'll talk about that as well as some Buffalo Bills stuff. Steve's uh, he's a co-host of the show called The Bills Guys on their YouTube channel. Does a lot more with Buffalo Fanatics. What's up, Steve? How you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. I just want to you know preface this whole uh, interview by saying it's it's an honor and a privilege to get, privilege to uh, to be on your show. I was I was telling some people who were asking me about it. I said it's almost like when a celebrity is invited for the first time onto like uh, you know Jimmy Fallon or or Jimmy Kimmel or. <laughs> Or Stephen Colbert, so I'm honored that I finally, uh, you know, finger quotes made it here in the uh, the, the Bills Mafia community. <laughs> oh, stop it, man! <laughs> <laughs> I, I really do. I, I appreciate that. And uh, like I said, we're going to talk some Bills, but I, I do want to spend a few minutes talking about the brand that you're working with, mm-hmm. because and also about yourself. Now, again, personally, I've seen the YouTube live stream you do with your buddy uh, Dave Tilton, the Bills yep. guys on. Fanatics. I've enjoyed that. I've especially in the last couple months or so got locked into that. But, you know, I don't know anything about you. And I'm being honest with you here. I don't know anything about you personally, mm-hmm. which is kind of fun. In fact, we talked for a couple minutes before we started rolling the tape here. And I don't want to know anything about you that I'm not going to learn as I'm talking to you on the year. So let me ask you a few things first. Where are you from? Uh, where did you grow up? How long you've been? How long have you been a Buffalo Bills fan? All that fun stuff. Well, I was actually born and raised in in Grand Island, New York, which is that sort of uh, pork chop island between Niagara Falls and and Buffalo, hometown <laughs> of of Locked On Bills host Joe Marino. And also, mm-hmm. I haven't been able to confirm this for sure, but I have heard some rumors. It may or may not also be the hometown of of Coach Taylor from Friday Night Lights, Kyle Chandler. I've heard some people say. 
because he's his Wikipedia says he was born in Buffalo, New York. But I've heard from multiple people who I trust who says that Coach Taylor was was actually born and spent the first couple of years of his life on on Grand Island. So that's a uh, I mean, some that's some a fun fact. Look at that. We're, I'm learning stuff. I'm learning <laughs> stuff right away or right off the bat. I had no idea. I never knew anything about that. I know Matthew Beauvais from a, he's a Grand Islander as well. Oh, is he? I know. I know he married a Grand Islander, but I wasn't sure if he was in fact himself a Grand Islander as well. Well, you know, maybe he's not from there, but I know he lives there. So close he's an honorary member. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. But uh, yeah. How long when obviously growing up in the area, I'm assuming you've been a Bills fan mm-hmm. pretty much your entire life. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been a Bills fan since birth. I mean, my dad obviously really got me into it. You know, he was a, a, a you know, a di- he's he still is a, a diehard fan. But my first memory, really, as as a Bills fan, is that that Bills Jaguars game. I believe it was in like '97 or '98, where where Flutie rolled out and and scored the game winning touchdown. My uh-huh. uh, my dad had Bills season tickets for years and years, so I just remember watching that game and then just sitting at the door waiting for him to to come home so we could talk about it and. That was really my my biggest, uh, you know, Bills, my first real Bills memory. So yeah, I've I've pretty much been born and raised a Bills fan. I was actually born in August of the the first Super Bowl run, so I was born a month before the regular season of our first Super Bowl run. So my dad always likes to joke with me that I cursed the team because since I've been born, four straight Super Bowl losses, the Music City Miracle, the playoff drought. I moved to to Phoenix, Arizona, and a year later they ended the playoff drought. So maybe me leaving Buffalo really was what was best for the team. <laughs> well, we had that in common then because you moved to Arizona and then the next year the Bills ended a drought. I moved to Florida after spending 45 years of my life in Buffalo and the Bills ended a drought. So maybe it was, maybe it was <laughs> you and I being in Buffalo that kind of screwed everything up. So that puts you at about what, around 10 years old or so, the last time the Bills had made the playoffs prior to you moving to uh, Phoenix? You were probably around 10, right? Yeah, the Music City Miracle year, I was about 11 years old. I'm turning... 30 next month the uh the big 3-0 so i'm uh uh it's yeah about 11 years old nah your life's just getting started buddy <laughs> now you mentioned phoenix how did you end up there uh i'm actually a a teacher um by trade that's my day job so you know i, I like to tell people i had two passions in life and and unfortunately uh one of them is education and it is not i shouldn't say unfortunately because i love my job but really not a lot of jobs for for, for teachers in, in new york state because they you know are one of the few states that pay teachers well and give you tenure. So I was forced to go to a job fair, take the best offer. I ended up moving out here to Phoenix, Arizona. Let me ask you this. Maybe you've never been asked this, or maybe you've been asked this a million times, but <laughs> when I see pictures of you, man, I, I look at you, I'm like, yo, that's Charlie from Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh. <laughs> you kind of have that look. Have you been asked that before? If, if so, I apologize. Well, I don't apologize because that was the first thing that struck me. That's not an insult either, by the way. I love Charlie. He's a good dude, man. Oh, I, I've actually gotten it all the time. Uh, a couple of years ago, he came out with a movie called uh, Bad Teacher oh, uh, yeah. with, with Ice Cube. And uh, I put the photograph as my profile picture as a joke because people have joked. My students, in fact, joke that I looked like him in that movie. And I put the picture up on Facebook and someone legit commented. They were like, I thought that was you. I didn't realize you had put that up as a joke. They legitimately thought it was me um for a couple of weeks until they realized it wasn't so yeah i i do i have gotten that a couple of times it's uh it's the hair i've been blessed with a nice uh flow <laughs> now for listeners out there who may not know about it tell us a little bit about buffalo fanatics and i'll say this too is very popular on social media that's for sure i checked mm-hmm. before we started talking i checked the buffalo fanatics uh twitter account over 7600 followers then on facebook guys the the group that uh 27,000 likes. Damn. 
Mm -hmm. And the YouTube page has over 11,000 subscribers. So tell us a little bit about Buffalo Fanatics, its founder or its founders, what the brand is about, what you guys do there, et cetera, stuff like that. And, and, and you missed the Instagram too, which I believe is over 100K. So wow. it's, uh, yeah, Instagram, I mean, the, the founders of, of Buffalo Fanatics, it's, it's really, it's, it's, their own, it's, it's our own little nice social media empire. And I, I say R, but I, I don't really mean, I, I do mean R because I'm now a member of Buffalo Fanatics, but I think everyone knows the founders, you know, Rico, Pierre, and Bobby. I mean, Bobby is an absolute wizard on Instagram. Whenever I'm bored, I, 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 I lose hours of my day just scrolling through the, the Instagram stories that, that Bobby is constantly posting all day. So if you're just looking for, for Bill's news and Bill's information and Bill's talk between the Facebook page, I think everyone knows Rico's YouTube shows. We got a new app called Flick Chat, which is like a message board app and, and Instagram. Every social media platform you're on, I think we even have a TikTok now. Um, you know, Buffalo Fanatics is there and it, it's just a really wonderful... Um, you know, positive fan-led community, and and I'm so thankful for Pierre and Rico and Bobby for for bringing Dave and myself on to uh, to head up the podcasting uh, aspect of it. It's it's a pretty interesting story actually, because um, my co-host Dave Tilton and I, we've actually never met in person. I I have never actually seen the man uh, in person. We there was you know. I was fairly naive to the podcasting game. I didn't really understand what was going on. There was just a random company on Twitter one day was just posted a thing. Like we're trying to start off like a, we're trying to start an athletic version type of podcast where we get fans from every team. We get 32 teams. Then we end up getting all the sports and we just have a podcasting network and there's a podcast for every team led by the fans. And they're like, if you're interested, send us a DM. And I sent this company a DM and, and Dave sent this company a DM and we started to get to know each other. The first time talking was the first time we did a podcast. So, you know, people who have listened to our show from the beginning have like seen our friendship grow to the point where, you know, I just sent him an invitation to my wedding um, that's coming up next year. That's how how close we become, even though we've never met each other in person. So our 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 relationship has sort of grown over the course of the podcast, which is which is now a a, a vidcast. But uh, yeah, that company that we started with went defunct after about a month and a half. And uh, we were just out on our own. And one of the days I just, I slid into uh, um, the Buffalo Fanatics DMs, as the, the kids like to say, and they, they reached out to us. They listened to our show. They, they liked what we were about and they, they brought us on to, to podcast. And since then we branched out to, to a lot more different stuff. Now, I don't, you mentioned Rico. I don't know him personally. Mm -hmm. We follow each other on Twitter. We've never really had a real conversation yet, but he's definitely somebody that, you know, I'm looking to talk to, get to know him at some point, but you brought it, not just him. I mean, the staff there, you guys really do a good job of grinding. I can't believe I forgot Instagram. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Like, I don't even have an Instagram, big mistake on my end. But anyway, it's a, it's a grind and it's very, mm -hmm. in today's world, if you want to have a podcast or if you want to have a blog or pretty much anything that's socially interactive you got to be savvy on social media because, I mean, first and foremost, it's always going to be about the content. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have a platform to properly promote what you're doing, it, it kind of goes by the wayside. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. I mean, there are so many people behind the scenes. Like I said, like, you know, Rico, I mean, I mean, Rico is just one of the, the coolest dudes in Bill's Mafia. Anyone who turns into his YouTube show. Sure. It's just a great time. Everyone has fun listening to Rico and interacting with Rico. Rico good energy but uh people don't understand how much work pierre does behind the camera and you know i am so blessed to have 
you know, Dave and myself to have come into contact with Pierre. I mean, this is a guy who you see some of his threads on Twitter. He has some really good takes, some things that could really take off if he ever wanted to put himself in front of a camera. And he used to put himself in front of a camera, but he told us um, from the first, from, from day one, he's like, guys, I just want to be behind the scenes. He's the one who, who taught us how to use all of these different things that we use on our, on our vidcast. He's the one who taught us like when to schedule promos, how to do promos, how to make promos, the things that Pierre does behind the scenes. Like we were just so blessed. Like he is the, the backbone of, of Buffalo Fanatics and he definitely doesn't get the credit he deserves. And Bobby either. We got a graphics guy named Brendan who does some great graphics too. Like, yeah, we got a team of about 30 guys, I would say, um, and, you know, very few of us make any money doing it too. We just love the bills. Um, we just love interacting with the Bills Mafia community. It's uh, it's a really good time. Yeah, big props to the graphics that you guys do. They're they're really good, and I've noticed that it's probably the first thing that I noticed about Buffalo Fanatics. I want you to tell me a little bit about the show that you do again, the Bills guys, mm-hmm. and you said vidcast. All right, so here's the differences. Right now, me and you, and we talked for a few minutes before again before we started rolling. This is not being live streamed right now. If I happen to screw up, I'm gonna be like, oh shit. You know what? Let me ask you that again. And the people listening are never even going to hear that. That's not the case when you're live. Now you and Dave, you guys are live. You're on the Mm -hmm. air. So it's like one shot. You better do it right. And not only that, if that's not, I don't want to say pressure, but if that's not different enough on top of that, you're being on my audio podcast right now. You guys do a vidcast, which kind of adds another element Mm -hmm. uh, to your show, which by the way, I really enjoy that a lot. In fact, that's something that I'm working towards having down the road, but you know, that's another discussion for another time. But anyway, so your show's live and it's a video show too. Mm-hmm. So sometimes I'm, I'm sure at this point you've gotten more comfortable and gotten used to it. But even going back, do you remember feeling like a little bit of extra pressure because you're live or because you're on video? And is it something, like I said, that you kind of just get used to at this point? Uh, I'll tell you what, it's maybe someday I'll get used to it, but every day it's, I joked on our last vidcast, I feel like Jim Cramer for Mad Money. Cause like when I start to get, I'll feel a little bit of pressure, like the, cause you know, I have to have this light shining down in my face to, to light up the background and all that yeah. stuff. And you start to sweat a little bit and the camera's like yep. right in your face. And we're also the producers of our show. So while we're talking, we also have to read the viewer comments and we have to pull them up. We have to pull up the graphics as we're talking. So it's very tough, especially to be like an active listener to my co-host, Dave. I feel like a real jerk sometimes. Like he'll say something and then I'll say the exact same thing and he'll kind of look at me and I'm like, shoot, sorry. I was like rolling through the graphics. I kind of only had like one ear listening to what you had to say. But it's um, what I really like about our show and what I think is really fun and unique is, you know, and I'm not saying other, other people don't do this because, you know, they do like Joe Marino has his Twitter Tuesdays. Cover One does a really good job of it. Um, I, you know, I know a couple of our podcasts are starting to do this now too, but I, I just really like the way we engage the fan. And I like the flow of our show. We were, we were trying to find a vibe for our show for the, for the longest time. And, you know, it's, re- it's really interesting because, like, you know, a couple of times, you know, we, we thought about bringing on guests and when we bring on guests, you want to have personal conversations like the one me and you are having right now. And maybe you want to go into more details about other things that aren't bills related but I'm not going to lie to you. Every time I ever did a podcast and thought about doing that, I thought about your show and I'm like, well, you know, you know, Pat Moran's in that lane. Like I'm not going to do it better than Pat. So we end up just skipping over, you know, to the bills talk. Or, you know, if you're thinking about doing an X's and O's thing, it's like, well, you know, you know, cover one's really, really good at that. Like that's their lane. So we were trying to, to find our lane for so long. And that's one of the, the things that we love about this live video stream is I really feel like 
the fans are the third host of the show. Like they are involved from the second we start till the second we end. Like we usually have one topic every day. I'll give my take. Dave will give his take. We'll read the viewer comments. We'll see what they have to say. They'll, they'll tell us why we're, why they think we're right. They'll tell us why we think they're wrong. And then we'll just open up the show. And it's like, what topics do you guys want to talk about? It's not what topics me and Dave think are relevant. It's, Hey, what do you guys want to talk about? What's a hot take that you have that you want our analysis of? What is a question you have that, that you think we could answer? What is a topic you want to talk about? So we're co- co- consistently engaging the, the fans throughout the whole show. And from the first show we did a month and a half ago to the show we're doing now, I mean, we, we went from having like a conversation with three or four guys to we're rolling a conversation live with, you know, 30, 40 people. And, you know, once, you know, the show's over, thousands of people are, are watching us on, on replay. So it really amps up the pressure. And but but I, I love doing it because I love talking with the Bills Mafia community. And, uh, you know, it just takes it, it takes a lot of pressure off myself as a content creator when they when they get to sort of control the show a little bit, too. Well, I'll tell you what, I really like where your head is at with, with your thought process on this. And I agree with you 100 percent. A show like yours, I think, is really built and designed or at least it appears that way for fan engagement, which is always going to be a big part of what you do. And it's going to keep people coming back mm-hmm. because well, who watches a show and doesn't want to be involved? You know what I'm saying? Like somebody, whether they're listening to this or whether they're reading an article, they got something that, or the, whether they're looking at a tweet and then they reply, everybody has something that they want to say. So what better way to, than to be able to do that than to actually give somebody the platform and the forum, like on a show like yours. And I agree. Listen, the, the bills podcasting market is very saturated but there's still a lot of good ways and methods to be able to consume Buffalo Bills content or just content in general. And, and you're right, man, hundred percent. It's about knowing your lane. It's about doing something that you think you're good at. Like for an example, with this podcast right now, if I tried to come out every week and break down every single thing about the bills, talk about special teams and coaches and stuff, like say Bruce Nolan from the Nick and Nolan show. That's my guy, Bruce. And he's an expert, you know, Mm-hmm. I'm going to sound like a phony if I'm trying to be another Bruce Nolan or like, for an example, Joe B and Matt Fairburn on the Bills. You know what I mean? Those guys cover the Bills for a living and they, and they do what they do as good as anybody. But when you give fans a forum to be able to engage in conversation with you, for me, I think that's a, a real winning formula. So I think you guys are doing a really good job. And I'm not just saying it because you're on my podcast. <laughs> I really mean it. I, I will say this because you mentioned that you want to you know get into the video game when we started doing the video we had it down to three different names we were either going to call it a vidcast or actually we had it down to two names a vidcast or a vodcast we weren't sure what we wanted to do um you know the the play on words with podcast a little bit and we we've left it up to the the people on the first show we said guys you got two minutes tell us what you think the show should be called or labeled uh and and we'll go with whichever one has the most votes and end up being vidcast but somebody threw just such a sweet name in there that despite the fact that I got no votes, I wanted to label our show that, but I, I got sort of shot down. The guy threw out patio, like, uh, like pot, like podcast video, patio, like podio, like rodeo. So maybe I, I, I'll give you the rights to that name if you want it. Cause I think that's just a sweet name. Patio. <laughs> if you want it, you can, it have is. It. I like it. And yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, it's going to be a process down the road. I'm starting to do the research now. I'm one of those guys that I feel like you only get one crack at it. So Mm -hmm. I've worked 
to build up a following. And if I bring it to video, I want to make sure that the quality is there. Like I could start a live stream tomorrow, but I feel like it's going to suck. I don't have any lighting. I want to learn more. And then maybe at some point I'll do it. But again, I mean, you guys are doing a really good job. And I'll tell you what, as we kind of transition into some Bill's Mm -hmm. talk, uh, I didn't get a chance to catch the episode, but I want you to bring listeners up to speed a little bit. You had one recently about Tremaine Edmonds, and Mm -hmm. the topic was him being a potential defensive player of the year candidate. Obviously, those are pretty lofty goals. I want you to elaborate a little bit on, on what you guys talked about on that show regarding Edmonds and you know, what your conclusion was after the show. And I'm sure some fans had some things to say about that as well. Yeah, it was, it was a pr- pretty lightning rod show, actually. A, a lot of people disagreed with our take, but I think I just came at it more of the aspect, like it's the off season, right? Like why not have some fun where, you know, we had this conversation, people are like, oh, you guys are just Bill's homers talking about Tremaine Edmonds as defensive player of the year, talking about Josh Allen's, you know, MVP odds. If anyone listened to our podcast last, you know, January, when we were audio only, they'll know, like, I'm not a homer. I was criticizing the Bills for certain things that they were doing. When they when their top two receivers were Kelvin Benjamin and Andre Holmes, I wasn't about to say, hey, Josh Allen's going to be rookie of the year. Like, I knew that wasn't feasible. Um, you know, when Chan Gailey was the coach, you didn't see, you, if I had a podcast back then, you wouldn't have been, you wouldn't have heard me saying like, all right, guys, it's, it's playoffs or bust this year. But this team, like, just take a step back and look at the roster. This is the best football team we've had since the early 90s. I mean, maybe you can make an argument that the Bledsoe, one of the Bledsoe teams were up there, or maybe you can make an argument that one of the Flutie teams were up there, but this is one of the best teams we've had in 30 years. This is an offseason where we can have fun with topics like this. We don't have to sit here and you know talk about who's going to be the third running back all day or talk about who's going to, you know, is it going to be Tommy Sweeney as the third tight end? Like We can have some of these bigger picture conversations and not feel guilty doing it. Not like Bills fans are so shell shocked from years and years and years of of being passed over by the national media and losing that we're afraid to have some of these conversations. So the first couple of our shows touched on things like Josh Allen MVP odds and you know some of the things that ESPN were were saying about Josh Allen and and then this latest one was Tremaine Edmonds. I mean this guy is he's good for a hundred tackles every year and in terms of linebackers that's the number right there right if you have over a hundred tackles then you have the baseline for an MVP season. Now, it's what do you do on top of those 100 tackles? So you, 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 like, if he, we have four primetime games this year. If he can get a pick six, if he can get a fumble, he can force a fumble. He, you know, he can get himself with Lorenzo Alexander gone, get himself, you know, rushing the passer a little bit more, get three, four or five sacks this year. He can, um, with the, the defensive line being a little bit more stout, have less run-stopping responsibilities, drop back into pass coverage more, pick off four or five passes this year. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but if he ends the year with 115 tackles, he ends the year with 115 tackles, five five sacks, and five interceptions, he should be in consideration, especially with four primetime games and a team that's looking like it should make the playoffs. So it, a lot of things need to go right, but we were joking on the show, you know, Trey White made that huge three, three-year jump. Tremaine Emmons is going into year three. The last time a middle linebacker won... MVP, it was Luke Keekley. Sean McDermott was his defensive coordinator. The last time a middle linebacker won it before was Brian Erlacher, and his defensive coordinator was Ron Rivera, who you know showed Sean McDermott the ropes in Carolina. So we were just connecting a lot of d- dots. It, it was very like, you know, I wasn't sitting there saying Tremaine is going to be the defensive rookie uh, player of the year, guys. It was just a conversation. I was like, why not have it? Why not have a little bit of fun? Why not bring a little bit of, of joy to the conversation? 
um, you know, and, and just be a little bit more optimistic in the in the offseason than maybe in years past. Well, that's funny because we're going to be going in the complete opposite direction in a matter of minutes. But before that, two things that you hit on that I want to reply to, because I agree. Mm -hmm. I would say for like in the case of Tremaine Edmonds, 100 tackles is definitely a baseline to start. Mm -hmm. But it also could be a very misleading stat because when I hear that, you know, the first thing I think of Preston Brown, that dude had a million (laughs) tackles for the Bills. And what did he ever do in terms of impact plays? But you elaborated on that. and, And that's why I'm glad you did. You know, you could have a million tackles, but how many sacks have you had? How many pick, you know, interceptions, mm-hmm. forced fumbles, especially in important times of the game? So Tremaine Emmons does have that ability for sure. And in terms of the show, you know, I hear that a lot too from some blogs or some podcasts. When people say the term homer, there needs to be an understanding. Now, look, mm-hmm. if you're Sal Capaccio, you cover the Bills for a living. If you're mm-hmm. Matt or if you're Joe with the Bills beat from the athletic, you're covering the Bills. It's not your job in any way, shape, or form to be a fan of the Buffalo Bills mm-hmm. at all. They're the Buffalo News, same deal with Jay Skirsky. These guys, they they're, they are literally supposed to be objective, and they are. Podcast, like say yours, or the Nick and Nolan show, or maybe Locked On Bills, Cover One, Greg Thompson, a lot of these guys, first and foremost, are Buffalo Bills fans. And there's absolutely, I mean, the brand that you work for is literally called Buffalo Fanatics. Now, that's <laughs> not to say you're going out there and playing cheerleader, that's not it at all. You're not afraid to be critical of the team, and that's very important because I think that brings some credibility to a show. If you're never mm-hmm. going to say anything bad about the team, even when they're playing like shit, people aren't going to buy into what you're saying. But at the same token, hey, again, you're doing this. It's a fan podcast, and there's nothing wrong with being a fan as long as you're doing it in a fair manner. You agree with that? Oh, yeah, I, I, for for sure. I mean, at the end of the day, like – I'll sometimes I'll have a take and I'll be like, all right, this is a homer take. Like I'm just going to be straight up positive. And, but, but I'll usually preface my statement with like, I know what I'm saying is a little outlandish or, you know, and, and and it's one of those things too, that I've learned early on as a podcaster. Like I've been critical of the team on a number of occasions. I was highly critical of Brian Dable last year because I didn't think we were running the ball enough, uh, especially past the 50 yard line. I thought a lot of our drives were dying past the 50 yard line. And I thought it was because he just went really pass happy once we crossed midfield. And, you know, I got a lot of flack and a lot of throwback from people. And sometimes you got to learn to have a tougher skin, especially when you're, you're criticizing your own team. But at the end of the day, it's because you want what's best for your team. You know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, it's, it's a tough, uh, sort of, you know, balancing act that you put yourself in, but usually when my takes are outlandish, I'll usually preface it by saying like, Hey, I'm I'm being a little bit of a homer here, especially with the, the Sam Darnold, Josh Allen debate. It's kind of funny because I'm on the opposite end. If anything, I get accused of being a hater more than, <laughs> than a homer. But anyway, listen, we can go on forever talking about the positive parts of the Buffalo Bills. And all the Bills podcasters out there are doing that in full force right now. And they should mm-hmm. because the team's good. And it's expected for the first time in probably 20 years on paper, at least, to win the AFC East. But I actually, and I kind of hinted at this a few minutes ago, I want to take a left-hand turn and spend some time talking about some potential worrisome spots and issues with this team. Now, no team is without flaws, and that certainly holds true in Buffalo. You know, we're going to dig into the weeds a little bit here. So I got five things that I want to talk to you about, and I got to start with Josh Norman as more than likely uh, the second cornerback this year. Now, I give the Buffalo Bills front office a lot of credibility, and I do it constantly. I think they've done a really good job building this team. But this was a move, and I'm being honest here, I never liked it. 
I still don't like it. They signed him right away before free agency even started after he Ooh. got cut by Washington. And I think there were far better corners who labored around in free agency that went unsigned in the Bills. Again, they already put their resources into him. They didn't draft a corner until the seventh round. It feels to me like they're putting a lot of stock in a guy who, frankly, whether he's a, you know, a victim of being in a poor system in Washington or not, the guy has not been good since 2015. Not to mention, he's 32 years old. So mm-hmm. for me, that's a worrisome spot. Now, maybe you feel completely the opposite. And if so, by all means, man, say what's on your mind when it comes to him. <laughs> well, it, it's interesting because you mentioned the age factor, right? 32. It's not like this guy was Daryl Green, who he was just he's a he was a freak, he's a freak athlete, and he's still a freak athlete. Or it's not even like in his heyday, Josh Norman was a freak athlete. Josh Norman is sort of like maybe a more physical, aggressive, maybe confident version of a Levi Wallace, where he was playing out of his body. The scheme made him what he was in his earlier years. He was overcoming athletic limitations. So now on top of overcoming athletic limitations, he's 32 years old. But I mean, you kind of hit on it a little bit with the the Washington thing and the scheme thing. I think this was a Sean McDermott pick. I, I, I think this was a Brandon Bean saying, all right, I trust my head coach. My head coach wants this guy. We'll go out. We sign this guy early. And, and the reason I, I came, with, came up with this take or the reason why I came to this conclusion was, I can't remember whether it was good morning football or whether he was just talking to the Bills media. Sean McDermott is known as a guy who says, all right, guys are going to come in here. Guys are going to compete. Guys are going to earn things. You know, all these, he says, it's always like compete, 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 earn your job, earn your job. Everything's open. I've never really seen him make excuses for people. And he was making excuses for Josh Norman left and right. He talked about how good he was in Carolina. He talked about how he felt like he was in the wrong scheme in Washington. I've never really seen Sean McDermott sort of make excuses for a guy. So he was making excuses for Josh Norman, which makes me think that, he thinks he can sort of recuperate what Josh Norman did in Carolina. I think because of his age, he's not going to be an MVP anymore. But you know, if he can get Josh Norman playing at a relatively decent level, um, I- I'm confident. And I have faith in Sean McDermott. I think he's earned enough goodwill with the fan base and the coaching staff to think he knows what he's doing. And worst case scenario, we're stuck with Levi Wallace, who's another player who maybe isn't the greatest in the world, but he knows he's not going to kill you. So as long as Trey White doesn't get hurt, I'm not losing sleep over CB2 right now with with those two guys there competing. Well, I will say this. I do give Sean McDermott the benefit of the doubt for one reason and for one reason only, and that's because Mm -hmm. Sean McDermott has earned the benefit of the doubt. You know, Rex Ryan came in there talking up a shitstorm and didn't back it up. Sean McDermott doesn't swing a big stick, but, you know... He's earned everything he's gotten mm-hmm. so far. Three years, two in the playoffs. So, if, And I know he was very good in Carolina with McDermott there. So I give him the benefit of the doubt. But it doesn't have to make me like the move. I still say at the end of the day, they could have mm-hmm. done better. And I'll tell you one thing about fans and maybe even some media that's bothered me. And I had a conversation with Bruce Nolan not too long ago on this show about this is I hate when people say, well, it's a, a no risk move. Bullshit. It is a risk move, and I'm going to tell you why. So, yeah, you know, I think one year, I don't know, what, $6 million or something mm-hmm. along those lines. Yeah, that's not a big deal. Cut them if you have to, whatever. But here's my point. Don't, don't say it's not a risk because here's the deal. You didn't sign any free agent mm-hmm. because you invested your money and your resource in him. You didn't draft anyone until they took a corner in the seventh round, Dane Jackson. Mm-hmm. So... They didn't make any other moves. So if this does happen to be a disaster, don't say that it was a no-risk move. 
because it was. You took a risk because mm-hmm. you didn't sign anyone else. I think there's always a risk in anything they do. Now, again, you take the corners uh, after him. I like DJ Gaines a lot in 2017, mm-hmm. but the guy hasn't been healthy since. You talked about Levi Wallace. I thought he was a great story in 2018 as an undrafted rookie, but he digressed last year, although mm-hmm. he did play better towards the end of the year. Teron Johnson, purely a slot corner, or at least for the most part anyway, mm-hmm. not to mention gets banged up a lot, and it's unrealistic, I think, anyway, to expect anything from either Cam Lewis or a seventh-round rookie in Dane Jackson. So, again, I hope you're right, obviously, for the sake of the Buffalo Bills, but I definitely consider this a, a worrisome potential position on this football team. And one of the reasons why they may have taken this risk is I think they obviously wanted somebody to compete with Levi Wallace. Why they didn't just bring Kevin Johnson back? Because Kevin Johnson got a fraction of the price that Josh Norman got. I don't know. Maybe they were looking for a little bit more upside than Kevin Johnson. Maybe they're like, oh, Kevin Johnson's a good athlete, but we just we didn't like what he was like between the years. We want to maybe get a guy who's... Josh Norman is comfortable in Sean McDermott's scheme. So in a year and... I don't know if this COVID stuff was was going on right around the time we signed Josh Norman or whether it was just beginning or, or what the Bills knew, but that, that could play a factor in it. They knew there was going to be less offseason. They knew there was going to be less, you know, of these OTAs and things and all these these reps that they take with the coaches. So maybe they wanted to bring in a guy to compete with Levi Wallace, and they wanted a guy who was comfortable in their system, a guy who could step in right away, not a guy who's going to take a while to get up to speed, especially with the offseason that we're seeing uh, this year. Well, that's a fair point. They mm-hmm. signed Norman before COVID started. But to your point, that could be why they didn't want to bring in someone who wasn't as familiar. Like mm-hmm. I said, this Sean McDermott system. So Josh Norman's very familiar with it. Maybe another veteran wouldn't have been. And certainly drafting and using an early round pick out a rookie, mm-hmm. not being able to be around. So yeah, I, that's a good point. I'm and- sure COVID might have been a factor why they didn't do more besides uh, sign Josh Norman. Now, we talked about Tremaine Edmonds earlier. For the record, can I say sorry? Can I say one more thing about the corners because I think oh, I have, absolutely. Go ahead. I've been sort of working to try to figure out why they signed an older guy in, in Josh Norman, and why after we saw what happened when EJ Gaines got hurt, and like we saw like Philip Gaines and Ryan Lewis and all those guys, we, we we've seen what a bad Sean McDermott has seen firsthand what a bad secondary can do to your football team, and I, I'm I'm wondering why they're willing to take this risk with a Josh Norman disposition, and then I think about the Brandon Bean factor, and this guy always has his. His, his mind on the future. And in the future, Trey White's going to get paid next year, like a massive amount of money, or you're going to franchise him. If the Buffalo Bills can get by for another year, platooning Levi Wallace and Josh Norman, well, then the year you're giving Trey White that big money, maybe that's the year you invest another first-round pick in a cornerback. And that then you have that cornerback on a rookie deal for five years, while Trey White is on his big money deal for five years. So you have that guy for, you know, it sort of balances each other out. It's like you have two middle tier paid corners instead of two big money corners. And that way when Trey White, five years down the road, comes up for his next extension, if the other guy on the other side turns into something, well, then you pay that guy big money and you let Trey White walk away. So maybe this is Brandon Bean thinking, I want to put this off as long as possible so that when we do invest money or when we do invest draft capital, we can keep the, the payment of the corner low on the other side because of how much we had to pay Trey. Well, I tell you what, that's a very good point. And to that as well, I would say the realistic expectation 
that would make Bills fans happy for Josh Norman. Just don't be a disaster. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be great. I mean, you got Trey White on the other side. You got a pair of amazing safeties and Poyer and Hyde. Just don't suck. <laughs> you know, just <laughs> be healthy. And uh, yeah, just don't be a disaster. But I want to circle back to Tremaine Edmonds mm-hmm. because, again, we talked about him earlier. For the record, I like him an awful lot. I think mm-hmm. he's on the verge of being a breakout star for sure. And I'm also very high on Matt Milano. I like him a lot, too. Now, they did sign A.J. Klein this offseason. Uh, Vashon jo- Joseph will hopefully be healthy and, mm-hmm. and good in year two after missing his rookie or the shoulder injury. You got Corey Thompson in the mix, man. But here's what I'm getting at, and this is topic number two. Mm-hmm. They had a lot of depth at linebacker, and I think it's a really thin position. And look, any team in the NFL, if major star players get injured, mm-hmm. you're going to suffer a pretty big drop-off. But this linebacking unit, after two very, very good linebackers, this is a dangerously thin position, mm-hmm. at least in my eyes. Yeah, I mean, like I said, you you obviously can't project injuries. Unless Tremaine Edmonds or Matt Milano goes down, though, I'm not losing sleep over the linebacker depth. And, you know, one of the, the reasons for that is I think this defense could really see a philosophical shift with the loss of Lorenzo Alexander to retirement. I think you could see the Buffalo Bills go in a different direction on defense and do a lot more five DB stuff. Um, look a lot, look a lot towards Teron Johnson, look a lot towards Theran Neal and Dean Marlowe. You know, Joe Biscaglia was pretty convinced that if he was on the board, Kyle Duggar would have been the pick instead of AJ Epinesa. So I think that the bills want to go in that direction, whether COVID allows them to or not, um, who knows. But I think early on, I think the name that a lot of people are forgetting is Mario Addison because a lot of people think, oh, he's just a defensive end. But last year, Carolina ran a 34 scheme, and Mario Addison played with his hand up in, in that 34 scheme. And when Lorenzo Alexander was was asked by, I believe it was Matt Perino, it might have been West Hurd, one of the interviews he did, he's done a ton of, of interviews this offseason, he said, uh, I'm really excited to see what Mario Addison can do in my role. And that took me back a little bit, like took me by surprise a little bit, because you know Lorenzo's such a unicorn. Like He can set the edge, he can rush the pasture, he can drop back into coverage. And... So he does so many things. So when Lorenzo's getting replaced, I think early on, you know, on those rundowns, it's going to be AJ Klein. You know, on the passing downs, I think you're going to see Teron Johnson come in or Saran Neal come in. And it's going to be a moot point because you're not going to need that third linebacker. But I think on, on some of these these passing downs where, uh, you know, the D, D ends can really pin their ears back, I think you could see Mario Addison, you know, move all around this defense, blitz from the A-gap, which is the middle, blitz from the edge, just be a stand-up guy who's told to go out there and get at the quarterback. So it could be something really interesting as the year progresses. Obviously, I think Sean McDermott is – I don't think he's going to want to rock the boat early because of the lack of reps. But as the season progresses, I think you could see a guy like Mario Addison used in some very unique ways on this defense that maybe a guy like Lorenzo wasn't used because of his other responsibilities. Well, I agree with everything you said. What I would say to counter that is mm-hmm. – and again, any team in the NFL, there's positions that teams are thinner at than others. Mm-hmm. This is a position where I would say after Josh Allen, certainly, and also Trey White, I would say Edmonds or Milano, those are, the, especially Edmonds, those are probably the two guys after Trey and after Josh Allen that this team could least afford mm-hmm. to lose the injury because all this stuff that you talked about, it all fits perfect as long as Edmonds and Milano are healthy. Yep. If one of them go down, especially Edmonds, they're in a, they're in a lot of trouble. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm totally with you there. One of my next points was going to be 
as the season progresses, it's going to, it's going to be really interesting to see what they do with Voshan Joseph because Voshan is a guy who can be a Matt Milano type. He can drop back. He can rush the passer. He did both those things in college. He's had a year to even bulk up a little bit. His, his, his sort of NFL frame, he almost got, he got practically redshirted. I know he got injured. I don't know how long it took him to rehab that injury, but it's going to be really interesting to see what the Buffalo Bills do this, decide to do with Voshan Joseph. Do they keep him strictly at weak side linebacker behind Matt Milano and give him all the reps and practice behind Matt Milano in case, worst case scenario, Matt Milano gets hurt? Or as the season progresses, do they get a little more you know risky with it and start to shift him over to AJ Klein's side, the strong side, where you typically don't see a guy who's 6'1", 230 on that side playing that edge setting role um, to try to maybe bring in that, that Buffalo nickel, that big nickel type of player, uh, have two weak side linebackers on the field. Cause you know, McDermott had that it's with Shaq Thompson and Thomas Davis in Carolina, two linebackers who are about the same size of Oshan Joseph in the six foot two thirty range. So is he going to put Milano and Joseph, uh, you know, on at the two linebacker spots with Edmonds in the middle and, and risk if Milano gets hurt, having to put Oshan Joseph in a position where he's not getting enough reps or does he take that risk? It's going to be something really interesting to see as the, as the year progresses. Yeah. All right, so I got another point here. I, I feel like the Bills appear to be, not a pair, they are, mm-hmm. for the time being anyway, married to Cody Ford being their right tackle. Many think he's better suited for guard. Quite apparently, the organization is not among them. Now, they have the entire offensive line back from last year, and I kind of like that. I like that continuity. But again, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm not sold on the job that Cody Ford did at right tackle last year. And I'm not sure how much better he'll be in year two if speed was the issue. Now, again, this is one of those situations where you got to trust the coaching and trust mm-hmm. the, the personnel and the management of the roster because they've done a very good job at it. And they do have Ty Seki too, by the way. So, you know, he he's a proven veteran there if need be. But what's your thoughts on Cody Ford playing right tackle? Because, again, a lot of people think he's a guard. And uh, re-signing Quinn in Spain mm-hmm. pretty much sealed the deal that Ford will be back at right tackle this year. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to start this with one of these, I'm going to, I'm going to preface this comment by saying like, here's my homer take. As you mentioned, you know, trust the coaching staff. You look at a guy like Deion Dawkins, who didn't get off to the hottest start ever as a rookie on the left side. Um, And Deion Dawkins and Cody Ford are very similar athletically, um, sort of like, you know, nimble, big guys, but you're right. Cody Ford did have that, that those issues with guys off the edge, but from everything I'm seeing on Cody Ford's social media, he's been grinding this offseason. He's been working this offseason. And there's something to be said for development and, and trusting the coaching staff and trusting Bobby Johnson. And we think that just because a player does something his rookie year, that's what he's going to be forever. But that's not always the case. You know, as much as we as fans want things to be, you know, instant and the player just to click and get it right away, sometimes it takes a little while. And it's in the Bills' best interest for Cody Ford to be their right tackle long term because we're going to have this a conversation next offseason. Deion Dawkins or Matt Milano, we might have to pick one. And if we choose to, if we choose Matt Milano, we now have a hole at left tackle. And if we kick Cody Ford into guard, we now have a hole next offseason at left tackle and right tackle because Ty Insecki's 35. Uh, Daryl Williams is on a one-year deal. So you're almost creating another hole. So you might as well take as much time as you can to figure out whether this is the answer or not at right tackle. That's a fair point. And I'll tell you something else too. Patience does matter because look, what is it? The end of 2018, Mm -hmm. we were ready to run Deion Dawkins out of town because he stunk 
in 2018 at left tackle. I mean, he wasn't the only, the entire offensive line was historically awful. But again, a lot of people were down on him after 2018, and he bounced back last year, and I thought he played excellent. He became one, I don't want to say the best, or even nearer, but he was one of the better left tackles in football last year. Again, after he had a decent rookie year, and then in 2018, he was, again, god-awful, but last year is really good. So hopefully that, you know, Cody Ford will, will develop in year two. And like, again, they have Inseki, and he better be good if Cody Ford's not. Because after that, you got Ryan Bates or Darrell Williams, who mm-hmm. if he plays offensive tackle instead of guard, I mean, that ain't it. So yeah, I, I, it's an important position again. And I do like the continuity of the offensive line, but looking at it from maybe not a Buffalo Bills perspective. Like if you're looking from an outside set of eyes from around the league, you look at this roster and you're like, all right, man, I watched the film Cody Ford a little bit shaky last year and they're rolling with him. So I do think it's a fair mm. thing to have a worry about right now. And, and another thing too is, this is going to sound weird, but Stephon Diggs is going to have a, a giant effect on this entire offense. And you could see a different Josh Allen because we could talk about some of the greatest offensive linemen of all time. Offensive linemen, to a degree, are dependent on their quarterback, and Josh Allen is known as a guy who holds onto the ball for a very, very long time, longer than maybe he should in the pocket, and that sort of hangs his offensive line out to dry. Now, that's some, some of that's part of just Josh Allen's game, and you know Josh Allen's a pretty elusive guy, so sometimes he makes offensive linemen look better with how elusive he is in the pocket. So you know there, there's positive sides to think about and, and negative sides of that, but with Stephon Diggs and John Brown on the outside, corners and safeties and linebackers are going to have a lot of things to think about down the field, which I think is going to open up the middle of the field for guys like Cole Beasley and Dawson Knox and open up this offense to maybe make it easier to dump the ball off to our running backs like Devin Singletary and Zach Moss in the passing game. So maybe just the Stephon Diggs effect as almost a decoy or just the defense thinking about him is going to open up aspects for of Josh Allen's game where he's going to get the ball out quicker. Oh, Cole Beasley is on a linebacker. I can get him the ball in two seconds, no problem. Oh, Zach Moss is uncovering the flat. I can dump the ball off to him, no problem. So maybe Josh Allen's game is going to change a little bit with Stephon Diggs here, and he gets that ball out quicker, and it makes Cody Ford, in turn, look better. The last two that I have are actually related to each other. I want to start with the backup. So the Bills like Matt Barkley a mm-hmm. lot, and they like him as much for him being in the quarterback room and his relationship with Josh Allen as much as anything else. And I understand why, and that's cool, but... Critics, and and by critics, I'm kind of talking about myself here as well. I feel like the team really missed out on an opportunity to go out and sign a much better proven backup this Mm -hmm. offseason for pennies on the dollar. I mean, literally pennies on the dollar. We have Jameis Winston who went to the Saints for like, what, 1.1 million. Andy Dalton, that's another guy that comes to mind. He's now the backup in Dallas, assuming Dak Prescott eventually signs. But those are two big names that were out there that the Bills could have at least had an interest in. I mean, maybe they did, and if so, we don't know about it. Cam Noonan's another one who's still out there, but he ain't coming here, so I'm not going to waste my time talking about that. I feel like the Bills are really hitching themselves to Josh Allen because if he gets hurt early on, I have a very hard time seeing anyone convince me that Matt Barkley is a guy that could win you nine or ten games as a starter. I'm not sure that the rest of the team around him is quite that good if Josh Allen goes down. Now, you can say a lot. You can say that for a lot of starting quarterbacks in the mm-hmm. NFL. But again, in this case, there was an opportunity to go out there and go get yourself a Jameis Winston or go get yourself an Andy Dalton. And the Bills, they just didn't do it. They're rolling with Barkley again. So I'm a little worried about the backup quarterback position if 
he has to play. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm totally with you. The Bills really had a one of the guys that I wanted this offseason was Case Keenum, but he ended up getting paid by the Browns. Um, so I wouldn't mm-hmm. have wanted him at the price tag he got. But I was big on the Case Keenum bandwagon. Um, you know, when we did our free agent preview. But that but that being said, I'm with you. Um, the Bills had a choice. Like they have really good chemistry in that quarterback room right now. It's sort of Matt Barkley is is sort of buddy buddy, and it creates a good culture. He pushes them. He helps them with his like as being being an anticipatory thrower because there are different kinds of quarterbacks. Well, that's the thing. There are different kinds of quarterbacks, and and you, there's a lot of question marks about Matt Barkley if he has to play multiple games. And you know, the, the, you know, you're right. There is a guy like Cam Newton sitting out there, which unfortunately, I think because of his personality, they're just not going to touch him. Um, Jameis Winston, all these guys for the same reason. They just they don't. I don't think they want another larger than life personality to come in here and be in and, and share that same room with Josh Allen. And you know, say what you want about it. I, I personally am not a big fan of that because that's saying you think your quarterback's soft. You don't think your quarterback can handle another you know another quarterback in the room that's on the same level as him or near the same level as him so that was a little discouraging um i think that teams that get into this trap of having only one quarterback because they don't want to hurt the feelings of the starting quarterback i I think that's a mistake but that being said i think it's an easier it's an easier time to be a backup quarterback and have a backup quarterback play in buffalo now than it would have been in years past i mean think about it if two years ago if if Josh Allen goes down, or a year ago, if Josh Allen goes down, you know it's John Brown, Cole Beasley, Doss, a, a rookie Dawson Knox, a rookie Devin Singletary, a five hundred year old Frank Gore. Like the offense just wasn't there to maybe help facilitate a backup quarterback to to win games. Now with just just straight up the addition of Stephon Diggs, it really opens up a lot for Josh Allen, and in turn, it's going to open up a lot for for a backup quarterback because at the end of the day. You want your backup quarterback to to be able to go 500 football when he's playing, and you only want your backup quarterback to probably play two to four games. I can easily see if Josh Allen sprains an ankle and, and misses a month, I can picture Matt Barkley coming in. You know, the Bills shifting to a ball control offense, 60-40 run to pass, using Devin Singletary and Zach Moss a lot. You know, having guys like Diggs and Brown and Beasley and Knox to to bail out. You know, instead of Josh Allen the playmaker, it's Matt Barkley the facilitator. But after two to four weeks, defensive coordinators are going to catch on. And, you know, even if Matt Barkley is a 500 quarterback, if you ask him to do that for eight weeks, if you ask him to do that for 10 weeks, you're digging yourself quite a hole if you're losing half of those games. And it puts even more pressure on Josh Allen when he is healthy to come in and, and be absolutely perfect. So it's, uh, it's a double-edged sword, but the Bills made the decision they, they made. So who knows? I mean, maybe Jake Fromm can come in and win his teammates over and become a, a, a capable backup quarterback and beat Matt Barkley out. Eh, I mean, never say, <laughs> never say never, but I, I don't see that happening. But in terms of Barkley, look, he was two and five in his career as a starter right now. Mm-hmm. And he played in two games last year for Buffalo. Uh, stats weren't good. He threw for 359 yards, three interceptions and in action against new England and the Jets. Now in fairness to him, the Jets was the finale mm-hmm. or was all second and third stringers in the new England game. He had to come in and play the fourth quarter of, you know, cold, that's a big ask against one of the best defenses in all of the NFL. And against, I know that he's good for the quarterback room, and I understand mm-hmm. that, but it's just a scary thought to me if Allen goes down. And I'm glad, because you kind of made the point that I was going to make. If you're worried about somebody coming in, like let's just say a Jameis Winston or an Annie Dalton, and if Josh Allen comes out and has a bad couple weeks or a bad, hell, maybe even a bad half, depending on who they're playing, and fans are booing them, and the media starts getting on, well, you know, is it going to be time for a change? You got 
you know, Andy Dalton or, or Jameis Winston on your bench, maybe he's going to be a better quarterback. If you got fans whispering that, or if that's traveling, God forbid, to the locker room, you have some kind of division. If you're, if Josh Allen's not strong enough to be able to handle that mentally, then maybe he's not the guy that we thought of. I just feel like when you could go out and get a guy like an Andy Dalton for one year and $5 million, you know, Matt Barkley, by the way, he's in the last year of his contract. And I'm glad you brought up Fromm for this reason. I don't think he's got any realistic chance, barring injury, of being the number two quarterback this year. But I could easily see him developing slowly. And maybe next year in 2021, mm-hmm. he's your number two quarterback. Matt Barkley could be gone after this season. So you had an opportunity to upgrade significantly, I think, the talent at QB2. And not only that, which by the way, Josh Allen's going into his third year as a starter. I don't think he needs to be babied anymore. It's nice to have a guy like Barkley in the room. And I know they have a fantastic relationship. They're close. But he doesn't need a mentor Mm -hmm. anymore. You know what I'm saying? So he's fine. He should be fine anyway on his own. I just feel like they blew an opportunity to go out and get a a much more proven guy. Because I'll tell you what, I don't even want to throw it out there in a podcast because people get mad at me if I get specific. But let's just say week two, Josh Allen suffers a gruesome injury. You ain't you're going eight and eight or nine and nine with Matt Barkley. I I'd almost be willing to guarantee that. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you have, I mean, Jameis Winston might throw thirty interceptions and you might not be any better anyway. But I really like the thought of more specifically. I really wanted Annie Dalton once he became available, just because I think he's significantly better than Matt Barkley. Man, talent is talent. That's mm-hmm. what I'm getting at here. Yeah, I mean, what what did Changeli used to say back in the day? Iron sharpens iron. I I don't think anyone would consider. Matt Barkley to be iron. So I don't think he's sharpening much um, in terms of, of, of Josh Allen's game. But you, you made the point of if Josh Allen goes down week two and it's the rest of the season, like worst case scenario. If that happens, you know, I mentioned you want your backup quarterback to be a 500 quarterback. And that's what I think Matt Barkley probably would be if he played. He'd be an 8 8 guy, maybe 6 and 10 guy. Like, you know what's going to happen to your team if Matt Barkley played. That's when you throw Jake Fromm in there. That's when you throw in the question mark. You, you throw in the guy who's at least got potential to be better. He could bomb and you'd have to go back to Barkley. Sure, that could happen. But he's at least got the ceiling uh, to do better than Matt Barkley. And that's one of my concerns is, you know, me, me and my co-host Dave Tilton on the Bills Guys vidcast, we were talking about Jake Fromm before all of this, this text messaging stuff when he was first drafted. Do the Bills keep him on the, on the, on the, on the 53-man roster? You know, I sort of said, like, I think you have to. I think if you want Jake Fromm, you have to. Because even if Jake Fromm, Jake Fromm clears waivers, he's not going to come to a team with a, to the practice squad of a team with Josh Allen. He'll go to the practice squad in New England, where at least he'll have a chance to be called up and maybe get a chance to start by the end of the year if Jared Stidham falls on his face. He doesn't have to go to the Bills. The Bills don't have dibs on him for the practice squad. So if you release him from your roster, you're, 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 I, I don't think Jake Fromm wants to be a Buffalo Bill. He's, he's long gone. Maybe a few years now yeah. because of his comments. So I think yeah. uh, I think if if the Bills want to keep from, if the Bills want a guy, if the Bills are worried about Josh Allen getting hurt and missing long stretches of times, which could happen the way he plays football, you're going to have to keep three quarterbacks. Barkley would be that three four game guy, but anything longer than four or five games, just throw Jake Fromm out there and see what happens. Well, I mean, obviously, we hopefully we don't have to you know mm-hmm. encounter this scenario. I'll say this too. I don't think there's any short of him being an absolute disaster or doing something stupid off the field. I don't see any chance that Jake Fromm does not make the, I don't think they took a, a 
a fifth round flyer on a guy to try to sneak mm-hmm. him on to the practice squad. So I, I'm pretty confident that he'll end up making the 53 man. That, that is a very fair point though. And again, I know a lot of people are probably yelling saying, well, what the hell you could name 30 teams in the NFL. If their starter goes down, they're going to be a 500 team. I don't care about the other 30 teams. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Again, the bills had an opportunity to get a better, they had an opportunity to get a, not just an upgrade, but a cheap upgrade at QB two. And, and they didn't do it. As far as Cam Newton, I'm pretty confident. He's just at this point, going to wait it out to someone gets injured and, uh, you know, pounce on his opportunity as he should at this point. Anyway, right. so I'm glad think, we're talking about Josh. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I don't think the. I, I it's been a while since I had seafood in Buffalo, but I don't think it's that great. So I don't think we have to worry about Jameis stealing any crab legs or anything. So <laughs> I'll tell you, man. Look, he's a maddening quarterback. I've been down here for a couple of years watching a lot of Tampa Bay football, and that's a really good football team. I've thought this two straight years. I'm like, this team's too good to be seven and nine, eight and eight, because Jameis Winston. His stats are historical in both ways. Mm. All the yards he's thrown, but also, what, 30 interceptions last year. I mean, he lost, he flat out lost a lot of games. So he, in some aspects, is, if you want to make the case that, yeah. you know what, the Bills have a, a great defense and the quarterback's job should be, I mean, Josh Allen is a gambler, but at the same token, he's kind of a game manager in mm. some ways with this defense. Jameis Winston might be the last guy that you want to have. <laughs> On this roster, Sean McDermott would probably lose his mind. Here's my devil's advocate with Jameis here, though. That guy was legitimately blind for the first five, six years of his. Like, he <laughs> refused to wear goggles. He refused to wear glasses. He refused to wear contacts. Like, this dude can't see. And he was still doing all of these things, the good and the bad. He finally gets LASIK surgery, and the Buccaneers decide to let him go. So I can't wait until this guy gets to see a football field. Uh, again, in, in maybe a starter's capacity or an extended capacity that's not preseason, because I'd love to see what he can do and he can actually throw the ball at a player, not just a color he sees down the field. Well, I'll tell you this. If Drew Brees happens to go down, he's in a, he ain't going to ask for a mm-hmm. better situation to be in New Orleans with Sean Payton and all the talent on that team. That team's almost flawless as far as I'm concerned, at least on paper anyway. All right, so the last thing I want to hit on here is the starting quarterback. And, of course, I'm talking about Josh Allen. He's got God-given talent. I think it's through the roof. And at times we see it. I think his work ethic is a 10 out of 10. I think his leadership very early on has been a 10 out of 10 as well. Nobody wants to be great more than Josh Allen. And again, Mm -hmm. sometimes we see that, but sometimes we don't. He's inconsistent. He's not accurate enough. He improved his accuracy from 52.8 as a rookie to 58.8 last year. He needs that trajectory to continue up in 2020, not level off. The fumbles are a problem, 14 of them last year. That's a big issue. Let me say this. We could spend an entire segment talking about all the good things Mm -hmm. that Josh Allen does, but that's, again, not what we're doing on this episode today. Mm -hmm. He's a concern if he is not better in 2020 than he was in 2019, and that's not to say Josh Allen was a bad quarterback in 2019 because he wasn't. He was pretty good, but he needs to be better than pretty good if your expectation for the Bills is to be anything more than a team that wins nine to 10 games again. Yeah, I'm totally with you. And, you know, I mentioned on our vidcast, and there's a couple people at Fanatics, Pierre included, that we they've sort of been throwing out the notion of Josh Allen MVP talk with the addition of Stefan Diggs and, and all these things. And then there are other people who, We'll throw out the name Mitch Trubisky and talk about Mitch Trubisky. So in terms of talking about Josh Allen this offseason, 
sort of like, you know, as Ron Burgundy says, a, a glass case of emotion you find yourself in because one day you're having the conversation about him being MVP and the next day you're, you know, you know, sitting in a corner with your, with your knees at your forehead, shivering back and forth, thinking about him becoming Mitch Trubisky. So yeah, if he has a bad year next year, are you talking mm-hmm. about bringing someone in? Yeah. I get, I totally get what you're saying there. Yeah. And you know, at the end of the day, we can talk about completion percentage. You, you want it to probably hit the 60% mark. I think with Stefan Diggs opening things up down the field, it's going to open things up underneath because of the threat, like the linebackers, the safeties, everyone's got to drop back. Everyone's got to respect the, the, the intermediate and the deep ball. It's going to open up some things underneath, which I think will help the completion percentage. I think it will help the yards. But at the end of the day, I don't give a damn how many yards Josh Allen throws for. I don't give a damn what his completion percentage is next year. It just needs to be okay. What I care about is points and touchdowns. Like that's what I give a damn about. And we didn't do enough of that last year. 19.6 points per game, 24th in the NFL. With Stefan Diggs here, that's an unacceptable number. And especially with this defense. Get me into the 24 to 26 range. We're making the playoffs with the defense we have. And that's up to Josh Allen to stop stalling out after the 50-yard line. Score touchdowns. You he is one of the best athletes in the entire National Football League. He needs to put the ball in the end zone more, whether it's not being afraid to throw turnovers and taking more risks. You know, I don't care what it is. He needs to score more touchdowns. He had 20 passing touchdowns last year, nine rushing touchdowns. That's 29 touchdowns total. If you ask me, 40 touchdowns next year, Josh Allen needs to be successful in my book. With, with the addition of Stephon Diggs and John Brown and Cole Beasley and Devin Singletary and Dawson Knox, I need to see him, combination of passing and running, hit that 40 mark for, for me to be happy because then I'll know the Bills have scored enough points um, to, to be successful and to win the games they need to do against the schedule and, and to put themselves into the upper echelon of the National Football League with the defense that they have. I need to see 40 touchdowns from Josh Allen. Hmm. Oh, that's a borderline hot take right there. I yeah. like it. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like the worst of Josh Allen, and again, I am not sitting here bashing him. I'm not one of those guys who does not mm-hmm. like Josh Allen. I like him plenty. I think he has room for improvement. I get frustrated by him. He's very maddening. And I'm not comparing him to Brett Favre at all. But Brett Favre was probably my favorite quarterback. And I I would get frustrated. And he was maddening. You know what I mean? Some of the interceptions he threw. Some of the turnovers he would. You kind of take the good with the bad when it comes Mm -hmm. to a guy like him. Now with Josh Allen, I feel like he really, it reared its ugly head in Houston. The playoff game, that second half. Lost fumbles. Some bad decision making. I think it's like oblivious at best and maybe even neglectful at worst for a Bills fan to just dismiss it as something not to worry about. To automatically assume that a guy is going to go from here. um, (laughs) I'm not on your video cast. And when I say here to there, people can't Mm -hmm. see me. But you know what I'm saying? He's going from one level to the next level just because he's a year older. Not a lot of quarterbacks have big-time improvements from year two to year three. It's certainly not unprecedented, and that's not what I'm saying, but it doesn't happen that often. And I feel like if the Bills are going to be capable of anything further than just simply making the playoffs in 2020, Josh Allen needs to be better than he was in 2019. I, I just feel like that's a fair mm-hmm. thing to say. Don't you think that's a fair thing to say? If he's not better, if he's the same exact Josh Allen as last year, I don't think it's very realistic to expect the Bills to do anything further than maybe make the playoffs and be a one-and-done team again. I, yeah, I mean, you're totally, you're totally right here. The thing, 
the thing I struggle with is if Josh Allen has the exact, exact same stats, it is going to be against a tougher schedule. I think the schedule is a lot tougher. Um, but that being said, I don't think 19.6 points per game is going to get it done against the schedule. So he's got to be, unless the running game makes massive improvements um, and they start scoring touchdowns on the ground a lot in terms of the running backs and stuff, you're right. Like He's got to show market improvement in, in all of the categories. If he plateaus, even if our record is the same, you know, it's, he's not always going to be on a rookie deal. He's, right. You're going to have to pay him eventually. And if you have to pay a guy who's putting up the stats he's putting upwards of $100 million, he's not going to have that talent around him that he has now. So he's got to not only, he's got to not only get better, he's got to get better because eventually he's not just going to have to facilitate to the talent around him. He's going to have to make the players around him better. Guys like Aaron Rodgers, you see guys like Aaron Rodgers have to do that on a, on a weekly basis. They have to make the guys around them better because they're just not as good as they could be because of the salary gap constraints of having to pay your quarterback. Yeah, that's another very good point. And I'll tell you what, some things that we talk about when it feels nitpicky that are very defendable when mm. it comes to Josh Allen. One thing neither of us even talked about really that's not defensible. He was terrible on the long ball last year. Yeah, He's got to improve. He's got to be much better mm-hmm. going forward with that. Which, you know, isn't it, and this is not directly related to quote-unquote, a a problem with Josh Allen. It kind of feels like a fit. Look, again, I love Josh Allen. I I feel like he's like a gambler out there, Mm -hmm. kind of street football at times, and I love that. But it's like, you look at the head coach, Sean McDermott, you look at a very, very good defense, and this is an offense that I feel like is kind of designed for ball control, yet you got a gunslinger quarterback. Doesn't that feel like an odd fit to you? And again, that's not to say that Josh Mm -hmm. Allen... Shit, man, you're right. You talked about having an MVP show on, on your YouTube show earlier. Hell, man, the Bills go 12-4, and four and he plays well. Why isn't he in that conversation? So I'm not saying that can't happen. Mm-hmm. It just seems like an odd fit, doesn't it, to Josh Allen with this system and this team? just feels a little weird to me. Not saying it won't work, but it just feels weird. Yeah, I mean, Brian Dabo comes from that New England tree, right? And that New England tree had Tom Brady for, for all of those years, and Tom Brady is very much a, a time of possession, dink and dunk, death by a million paper cuts type of, of offense and type of player. Josh Allen will never be that. Josh Allen is going to be Brett Favre. So I think a, a lot of it's going to have to be Brian Dable making adjustments of, of his personality and his style too. And you've seen him do it before. Uh, you know, Brian Dable, he made changes. You know, Mike Loxley came in and, and forced him to make changes and do the read options and all those things at Alabama. I think that you've seen Brian Dable make some adjustments over the course of the two years he's been here with Josh Allen, but he's going to have to find that right balance of, all right, Josh, settle down, lead us on a drive here, and, and letting Josh Allen be Josh Allen because, like I said, he's, he's not going to be that Tom Brady type of guy that's going to dink and dunk you down the football field. But if he's going to be the Brett Favre type, as you mentioned before, he's got to make those plays downfield. He's got to be the playmaker that Brett Favre was because right now, yeah, he's the playmaker. Yeah, he's he he does he makes those chunk plays. He averages a lot of yards per plays, but it's not ending in the in the points per game that you, that you need to see. You you need to score more than nineteen points a game, plain and simple, to win in the National Football League. So if he's going to be the playmaker, he better start making more plays, or we're going to have to be talking about finding another quarterback. Yeah, do you think? Did I miss anything? Anything not covered that concerns you? Like I said, we talked about five things. The only thing that pops in my head a little bit, and it's not because of anything on the field. Ed Oliver, just want to make sure he bounces back from the shit that went on in Houston, that he's got his head on straight. Because you never know. He's a young guy. 
It, that could still go both ways. I'm not seeing mm-hmm. anything that would suggest that it's going to happen again, but you know, that might be a little bit worrisome. But outside of that, I'm, I think we pretty much covered everything. Is there anything you think I forgot? No, I mean, when we were talking about linebackers and stuff, I'm, I am a little bit worried about sort of Lorenzo Alexander was such a unicorn on this defense. Like I, I mentioned earlier, he, he could rush the passer. He could drop back into coverage. He could set the edge. As this defense sort of evolves in you know the years without Zoe, A.J. Klein is on the run-stuffing downs. Mario Addison's the pass rusher. You bring in Saran Neal to be your, nickel, your big nickel corner, or you have um, Teron Johnson in there. It's a lot easier now for the offense to figure out what it is your defense is doing. Um, Lorenzo Alexander allowed you to disguise a lot of things, so it's going to be really interesting to see. Maybe there's some bumps in the road early on in the season how the Bills go around maneuvering life without Lorenzo Alexander because you can't disguise things as well as you disguised them in the past. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, let's end this on a positive note. So (laughs) there's some things that I think anyone would say is an improvement over last year Mm -hmm. without any need for debate. Stephon Diggs, you talked about him. He makes the wide receiver group way better. I think Zach Moss is going to bring more to the RB2 position than Frank Gore did at the end of the year. First ballot Hall of Famer, but he slowed down there at the end and he wasn't a big threat. When he was on Mm -hmm. the field, the Bills were pretty predictable. That's not going to be the case, I don't think, with Moss. Uh, Dawson Knox will be better in year two. Tyler Croft, he's no bum. He's healthy Ooh. this year. Uh, they're deeper at the defensive line position. Not necessarily better, but definitely deeper. And the offense has far more continuity with a third-year quarterback who's starting for his third year, I should say. Got a third-year OC. He got the exact same offensive line coming back as last year. So let's end by me asking you, what excites you most about this team right now, looking forward to the 2020 season. For me, it's it's Stefan Diggs, and it's not so much because of Stefan Diggs. I, I sort of hinted at this earlier. I mean, first and foremost, it's going to be really interesting to see if Josh Allen can be the type of quarterback to force feed a superstar, um, like Ben Ro- Ben Roethlisberger used to do with Antonio Brown. Um, you know, things like that. If he can force feed that guy 100 and plus targets, it's going to be really interesting to see. But I like the idea of just everything Stephon Diggs does for the offense because Stephon Diggs is a field stretcher. John Brown is a field stretcher. You now have two guys on the outside who can make plays short and run after the catch, who can make plays intermediate and can make plays deep. That gives the safeties and the corners so much to think about. So if they're concentrating all on Stephon Diggs, it's going to open up things for John Brown down the field for bigger plays on the other side. Again, if Allen can connect, it's going to open up things for Cole Beasley. And Dawson Knox over the middle of the field. It's going to start making linebackers think more. It's going to open up things for Devin Singletary and Zach Moss to get to the second level. And you saw what Devin Singletary can do when he gets to the second level last year. He can make people miss. You've seen, uh, at least not seen, but heard Zach Moss. He's like, hey, I'm going to make people make business decisions. So if the safeties are dropping and the linebackers are dropping because they're worried about our receivers, Zach Moss gets to that second level one-on-one with a safety, one-on-one with a nickel corner, one-on-one with a linebacker. He's going to make them make some business decisions. So just one player, even if he doesn't have the ball in his hands, is going to do so much more. And our offense should, if Josh Allen can put it all together, score more points because I'm in the process of going back and rewatching every game from last year. And I'll tell you what, they are some real snooze fezzes, fests at some points because our offense just couldn't score. Like they, they were just trying to do everything they could to get to 17 points. And it was hard to watch in some points. Like they would just get to the 50 yard line and stall out. We can't do that anymore. And I think just the addition of one player, could open it up for all these other guys. So it should be really fun to watch. I really like where your head's at with that point. All right, really good stuff, man. Everyone follow Steve on Twitter at Judge Mathis. Yo, by the way, 
Why is it at Judge Mathis? What's up with Judge Mathis? Uh, I'll tell you what. It's a sort of a play on words with the old uh, with the old judge uh, on the the Fox TV show. Gotcha. He spells his with an I. I spell mine with an E. But uh, yeah, I would always when I was I used to student teach um, way back in the day, and I used to teach back in Buffalo. And I it was back when the show was more relevant because it's off TV now. So this is about <laughs> like you know ten years ago when I was like in my early twenties and. I would tell people all the time, I was like, yeah, he's my dad. And they would look at me like, and they would look at me straight up because they knew who Judge Mathis was, obviously a, a black man, and me, a white man. They would just be like, um, but, uh, and I'd be like, what? And they were like, uh, uh, I was like, just say it, just say what you're thinking. And they would just be so afraid to say it. They're like, what, a black man can't be my father? Like, so I would mess with students so much back in the, back in the day. So I had a lot of fun with that. And I think I made my Twitter account back in like 09 or something. So. Um, yeah, Judge Mathis. Now it kind of works because you know I get to, you know, have the judge's judgment or make a final verdict or uh, right take. So it's sort of a nice little play on words, and it works for me. So <laughs> I don't have to worry about my Twitter handle like some other people. I know it's some people lose sleep over what to make their Twitter handle. I, I never had to do that. I got to ask you one more question. I should ask you this early in the podcast, and I forgot because you're in Phoenix mm-hmm. again. I'm in Tampa, so you got. You're one of those cities that has all four major sports teams. You got the D-backs, the Coyotes, the Suns, the Cardinals. Y'all kind of suck, but whatever. <laughs> you have a, there's four of them. What are fans like in Phoenix, like say compared to Buffalo? Because I, I, I can speak down here in Tampa. There's not four mm-hmm. sports teams. There's three. You got the Rays. You got the Lightning, who are very good. And you got the Bucks. It is just, ugh, they're, it's just so different than being in Buffalo. And, and Grant, even having a shitty Sabres team for, what, nine straight years mm. with no playoffs right now, and everyone's pissed off and understandably so. But my point being is that fans in up north in Buffalo just feel so passionate while down here in Florida, and I know in part because there's so mm. many transplants, people are from all over the place down here, so they're not all in the Tampa teams as much. But it's just so much more laid back and chill to the point that it bothers me. What is, like, fandom like in Phoenix? Is it is it more rabid and passionate like Buffalo? Or is it more kind of like, eh. I'm going to try to be as nice as possible to stay because I used to be mean about it. I used to be really mean about it. But um, my fiance's brother and her dad are diehard Cardinals fans. They know the team in and out. They have just as much knowledge about the Cardinals as I do the Bills. I've had the pleasure of meeting some very diehard Coyotes fans. So they exist. They're, they're a thing. They're not a myth. But that being said, when I walk through a mall in Phoenix, Arizona, with my Bill shirt on, I will have people from 30 yards away screaming like, hey, hey, hey. Yeah. like I'll have people <laughs> yeah. asking me to jump through folding tables. Yeah, You'll see Bill's gear. You'll see Cowboys gear. You'll see 49ers gear. Um, y- you don't see a lot of Cardinals gear. Like me and you just had a conversation about our backup quarterback. I think a majority of Cardinals fans couldn't name their backup quarterback, Brett Huntley. But, um, you know, same with Coyotes. Same with the, the D-backs have a pretty decent following, but it's just different. Like you turn on WGR or sports radio or a, a, one of the 40 or so bills podcasts. Now, like you want to talk about the bills. You want to talk about the Sabres. There are outlets with people who are super passionate and will talk about it to the, the deepest levels. They will reminisce with you about the past. They will talk to you about the future. They will talk about the current state of the team. You just don't get that here in Arizona. You turn on the radio and they're speaking in generalities. You know, they're, they're covering four different sports in one day. So they just don't dig in as deep and you can't have those conversations that you're having, you know, when you're a Bills fan with other people on, 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 in the Bills mafia community. Yeah. All right. Judge Mathis on Twitter, 
course, check out Buffalo Fanatics. You can find them on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, TikTok, IG, you name it, all over the place, man. <laughs> the Bills Guys Bidcast, live on that YouTube channel as well. All right, Steve, thanks a lot, man. A lot of fun. Good to get to know you a little bit. Yeah, I really appreciate it, man. Go Bills. All right, folks, that is going to do it for this episode. Big thank you again, Steve Mathis, Buffalo Fanatics. That was a lot of fun. Also want to thank today's show supporters, 26 Shirts, Autoimmune, and of course, Sounds Assured. Guys, if you have not done so already, please go ahead and subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on all the major podcasting platforms. Also, check us out on YouTube. We don't have a billion subscribers like Buffalo Fanatics do, but got some. So check us out on YouTube. Last but not least, of course, follow me on Twitter at Tweets. I'm there literally all the time. Thank you so much for listening. I say it all the time. I really appreciate each and every single one of you. The million podcasts out there. You're tuning into this one means a lot to me. So thank you very much. Have a good one. I'll be back with a brand new show on Friday.